Hello, and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State football podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how you doing? Uh, doing pretty good, John. Hey, we got, you know, a battle of the unbeatens this week, which I guarantee you that no one in the country expected this game to have two undefeated teams, uh, you know, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, no, I, I think, honestly – if you'd have told me either of these teams would have been undefeated, I would have been shocked. Uh, it looked like Minnesota almost lost to South Dakota State early on in the season. Penn State had a brutal stretch, and yet here we are, both teams 8-0. Uh, but before we jump into that matchup, we've got some actual pools that matter to finally talk about. Although, again, they don't really matter because they change every week and the committee good, is good supposed amendment. to... Yeah, the committee is supposed to start everything fresh every single week, but still it's, it's sort of an indicator of what this uh, iteration of the committee is looking at and what they're valuing. Uh, and, you know, as, as seemingly I'm sure everyone knows, uh, Penn State came in at number four with Ohio State at number one, LSU at number two, Alabama at number three, and uh, Clemson at number five with, of course, Baylor and uh, Minnesota's the other two unbeaten teams outside of the top five, and it's seemingly not in contention right now uh, unless things really go their way. Uh, I think we'd both be surprised if they end up in the playoff anyway, so they're not too relevant to this discussion. But let's talk about that 4-5 slot. Uh, what did you think of Penn State coming in at number four ahead of Clemson? I wasn't as surprised as, as some other people were. And, you know, a big reason for that and, and what the, the college football playoff committee, I was on a conference call last night with, with Rich Mullins, the, uh, uh, the chair of the committee, and you know, something that he said when he was asked about it was, hey, I mean, it's, it's, it's all about strength of schedule and, and strength of resume. And if you look, Penn State is one of four teams in the nation uh, that to this point uh, have beaten uh, two ranked teams already. And Clemson, if you look at their schedule, it is absolutely hideous. I mean, Clemson might go the rest of this year without beating a ranked team. And, and they will play Wake, Wake Forest uh, not this coming week, but next week. You know, Wake Forest should be ranked, but, but Clemson, you know, beats them. Uh, there, there's no guarantee they stay ranked. I mean, it is just a putrid, putrid schedule. And I, I don't mean to get too far ahead of ourselves here, John, but I think if Penn State, let's say Penn State would lose to Ohio State by a field goal, I, I would still take a one-loss Penn State team over an undefeated Clemson. I absolutely would do that. I think the – and Rich Mullins, uh, he acknowledged this as well. Clemson barely beating North Carolina, that 21-20 win that – they really should have lost if it wasn't for the two-point conversion. Uh, you know, that hurt Clemson a lot. So uh, I, am, I am not at all surprised that, that Penn State is number four as opposed to number five. I think, you know, that's where, where Penn State belongs right now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, again, like you said, you know, these don't mean a whole lot right now, you know, but it does show you that the committee is high on Penn State, and, and that does mean something. Yeah, and for what it's worth, that's, you know, the, the head of the, uh, the college football playoff selection committee, Rob Mullins, Oregon AD. Rob uh, Mullins, he, I'm sorry, not Rich Mullins. Uh, it's all good. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure our listeners aren't too familiar with the, uh, the athletic director at Oregon anyways, but he's, you know, he's the head of it, and he's generally the guy that's going to be the voice of the committee from here on out. We'll see a lot from him. We'll hear a lot from him. Uh, but I, I found something interesting about what he said. It seemed like, uh, and this was on the, the selection show on ESPN uh, after the rankings were released when he spoke, he mentioned things that made you think the eye test mattered quite a bit with this group, uh, with this particular uh, group on the committee. And I, I think that's, that's important going forward because not only has Clemson's schedule been putrid, they've struggled quite a bit, and Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked like he did last year. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he was bad against North Carolina. He struggled to start against Louisville. 
And I, I'm honestly surprised that game wasn't close towards the end because he, he, he picked it up in the second half, but he played so poorly in the first half that they should have been down quite a bit. Uh, and I'm, I'm just not impressed with Clemson. And, and I said last week that I thought Penn State would be four, and, and here we are. Uh, you know, Clemson's just not impressive. And, and I'm with you. An undefeated Clemson team against uh, a Penn State one-loss team, I would put in the Penn State one-loss team, especially if they lose to Ohio State by a possession, because you're looking at a team that, I mean, ain't played, played tougher opponents, literally only lost to a team ranked above them in the pools, and, you know, played in a tougher conference. And, and, and Clemson has, has nothing going in their favor other than the zero in the loss column, which, I mean, if, if this committee's going to judge things by the eye test, which it, which it seems like they will, I – I don't know if they're going to value that zero in the loss column as much as previous iterations would. Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens if that scenario plays out. I think it's a pretty realistic scenario. Uh, I think the only other alternative to Penn State not getting in in that situation is, you know, do we see uh, a Pac-12 champ leap over them, which I would give more credence to than an undefeated Clemson as well. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson finishes this year undefeated and possibly as low as sixth. I don't think it's that crazy. I don't think it's going to happen because I think we're going to see both those Pac-12 teams lose. But I don't know that an undefeated year gets Clemson in, and that may sound crazy to the listeners. But it, if you watch this team play, if you look at the resume, they just don't stack up with the with Penn State right now, and they definitely don't stack up with the top three. Uh, but uh, you know, this all should get fleshed out here in these last few weeks. Uh, of course, we've got Alabama, LSU this weekend, a number two versus number three matchup. And two weeks after that, we'll have Penn State against Ohio State, which, you know, could very well also be a number two versus number three matchup because I'd imagine the winner of this weekend's game jumps Ohio State to number one. Uh, of course, the committee doesn't take in future weeks uh, into account yet. But I, I think, honestly, honestly, we might get two uh, number two versus number three matchups here in the last month of the season, and I am here for it. Uh, this is the kind of stuff that I love to see in college football. We'll get great competition down the stretch. Uh, meanwhile, Clemson last week, I believe, played Wofford. Or uh, maybe it's this week they play Wofford. Regardless. Uh, they, yeah, it was a very forgettable game, but I want to say they won that about 59 to 14. But if I could interject for a moment, John, because I, I would like to let you know what grinds my gears here a little bit about Clemson. Uh, when, when I was watching uh, the selection show last night, um, one of the ESPN analysts said that, you know, Clemson was in his top four. And his reasoning was, you know, because they – they were undefeated last year and you know well, let's, he, let's call out who this was this was ESPN's Joey Galloway uh, I mean I know exactly what you're talking about this was just absurd but please continue <laughs> so you know where I'm going but but yeah I mean uh, you know he was judging Clemson you know hey if you haven't lost a game yet since last year you know that that means something and I get what he's saying but something that the college football playoff committee and I'm going to confuse Robin Rich Mullins the whole damn year. I'm just going to, I should just say Mr. Mullins. Yeah, that's probably uh, for the best. <laughs> but, you know, he said, you know, we judge everyone from opening day until the end of the year. Selection day is December 8th. From the start of the season to December 8th. It's not from 2018 until now. It's, you need to take every season by itself, not judge from the last season. And, you know, you mentioned the eye test. And I wonder if there are any of the 13 committee members who shared Joey Galloway's opinion. And I'm guessing not because it's a really, well, stupid opinion, but you know, when you look at, when you do look at the eye test and you looked at the strength of resume, yeah, if anything, maybe Clemson should have been knocked down uh, another spot. But I mean, at some point, strength of schedule and who you decide to schedule needs to matter. And, you know, I, I, I really hope that 
you know, some team, whether it's Clemson or someone else, you know, gets dinged for that. Because I feel like too often we see, you know, uh, uh, I feel like it's an easier path if you go undefeated against bad teams than if you're challenging yourself with, you know, playing top 25 teams every other week. So, you know, I know Penn State didn't exactly schedule Iowa or Michigan, um, but they should be the beneficiary of playing in a tougher conference. And, and we'll see. You know, at this point, this is, these are all what-ifs. I mean, so many things could happen between now and the end of the month. And, and that's also what makes college football so great. Because literally, in 2016, I mean, you know, I, I think by week five, you know, we were all like, oh, well, no playoff for Penn State. You know, that's that. And, you know, things get turned right upside down on their heads. So, I mean, you just, you just never know. So, yeah, hey, I'm looking forward to it. November is always a wild month in the NCAA. Yeah, and, but I do think this, this pool is important because it sort of sets some precedents. Uh, and, and like I mentioned, the eye test being one of those things with this committee. But it also opens the door for Penn State to make the playoff with a lost Ohio State. There are several scenarios that can take place now where that becomes a realistic possibility. Um, I, I know the, the – I believe ESPN's FPI has Ohio State around an 85% chance of making the playoff and Penn State around 51%. Uh, that means, you know, just doing the deduction there, that at least 19% of the scenarios exist where Penn State makes the playoff with a loss to Ohio State, assuming that the, you know, the scenarios where Ohio State doesn't make it, uh, Penn State is I'd, beating I'd them. I get 19%. 100 minus 85 is 15 uh, right, but there, so there, you have fifteen percent of scenarios where Ohio State is making the, is not making the playoff. So fifteen. Oh, sorry, it's not it's not nineteen percent. It's thirty six percent. That's my fault. So it's fifteen percent of scenarios where Ohio State doesn't make. We, we the need playoff. a mathematician as a fact checker. Hey, that's that's me. I used to be really good at this. So let me go on this tiny little rant. This tiny little rambling. Let me nerd out for a little bit. And so I apologize to the listeners. All right, go on, Mathlete. <laughs> let 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 let's get this. So we got. You've got 15% of scenarios where Ohio State doesn't make the playoff. It's safe to assume that in those 15%, they lose to Penn State, which means Penn State's winning out and making the playoff. So that's 15% of all these scenarios are also 51, uh, part of the 51% of Penn State, which leaves 36% of other scenarios where they're likely losing to Ohio State and making the playoff still. That may not be exact, but there are – so the, basically there's thir- at least 36% overlap where both teams make it is my point here. Uh, and that that tends to you know make me believe that Penn State is losing to or is beating Ohio State uh, uh, in those scenarios. But you know we're at a point where you can look at these four teams and say there's a realistic way for all four to make it, even though two conferences are represented right now in the top four. I think there are scenarios where all four of these teams make the playoff. And I don't think they're that crazy either because I think right now these are the clear top four teams in college football. And I think there's a pretty wide gap between them and everybody else. And especially the top three and everybody else. Uh, I want to say the college football playoff committee last night, you know, it seemed that after the top five, after the top six, it was a whole other conversation. There is definitely a gulf, you know, between, you know, top five, top six teams. Absolutely. At this point, um, I, I think very few people would disagree with you on that. Yeah, and, and I think the only way this really gets blown up, it seems like Oklahoma doesn't have much of a chance at all, honestly. So they're, they're almost totally out of the picture. Uh, it's really if Baylor ends up winning out or one of these teams stumbles along the way. But if all four went out with the exception being a loss to the other team that, you know, that is in the top four, I mean, put them in the playoff. These, that, that, to me, that would indicate these are the top four teams of the country. Even if you get some rematches, these are the top four teams, and that's what you want to get at the end of the year. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I certainly hope that Penn State doesn't lose to Ohio State by a field goal and then does not make the playoff because we will never – This that will be an offseason where we never, ever hear oh, the my. end of that. Yeah. It uh, would, you know, Penn State fans, yeah, to have it work against you, you know, twice in, in four years like that and, and kind of be on the, the receiving end of, of, you know, two entirely separate scenarios where you don't get in for entirely different reasons that – kept you at the last yeah yeah that would be a complete and total mess so I'm gonna root against that scenario happening John Sauber yeah I'm totally with you I don't want to see it either it is less fun for us one and uh uh, two it uh, it would create a lot of misery on uh you know among the interactions that we have with fans of of Penn State uh but you're gonna lose to to Ohio State lose big go big or go home yeah exactly especially don't go up you know 38 points, 21 points, whatever you have to, and, and, and blow that lead because that would be especially detrimental to our health. Uh, but, but let's move on here to the, to the next matchup for Penn State as James Franklin clearly already did last night with his Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota tweet uh, after the rankings came out. He didn't seem to really care uh, that they were out, which, I mean, good on him. Shocking. It, it seems like, I mean, you know, I saw Ben Jones, uh, another Penn State beat reporter on Twitter, say, you know, it would be easy to just dismiss that as, oh, it's just, you know, it's just – you know, talk, they're just saying it to not get any distractions, but it seems like they truly believe in that, you know, to, to come in at number four and to still not comment on it, you know, to me, it's, it really, it really is easy to buy into the fact that, that Franklin and his staff and his team believe in this one and oh mentality. And you know, I mean, they've been touting it since, since 2014 or before that. I mean, it is absolutely cliche, um, you know, but yep. you know, just because something's cliche doesn't mean that you, you know, you don't have to believe in it. I mean, you know, another cliche is it's not about the size of the dog, but the size of the fight of the dog. Cliche, but that doesn't mean it's untrue. And, hey, I mean, this works for Penn State, you know, so, you know, no one's going to argue with the results. So, you know, keep it going. It's worked for Franklin. It's worked for Penn State. They bought in. So keep and it rolling. So if they want to keep it rolling this week, that means a, uh, a game against Minnesota in Minneapolis taking on the Golden Gophers and a really difficult road matchup. Uh, you know, we'll see if they can come out with a win. What do you think about this Golden Gophers team? And, and where do you think Penn State's going to have to beat them to get the win? It's an interesting matchup just because, I mean, we just, you know, we, we just dinged Clemson a whole bunch for, you know, the fact that they did not play uh, a difficult schedule. Minnesota has not played anyone either. And, and that's why uh, the, the committee ranked them number 17, I believe it was, because, I mean, they have also had a putrid schedule to this point. Penn State is their first real test, you know, but. That being said, I mean, this team is, is really night and day from, from last season. And um, offensively, we knew they were going to be good this year. They had, um, you know, two very good receivers coming back who both had the production last season um, uh, in Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. Uh, and then you look at, at quarterback, um, you know, they've got another starter coming back. When all was said and done, nine starters on offense returning. You know, that means something in this day and age when you have that continuity. They were one of the youngest teams in the nation last year. But defensively is really where they made the, the big jump. And, and for, for Penn State fans to kind of understand this, you know, think of where Penn State's offense was before Joe Moorhead and then, you know, what happened when Joe Moorhead came. So uh, Minnesota promoted their defensive line coach last year after they allowed what was it, 600 yards to, to Illinois? It was just pathetic. Um, and this year, I want to say Minnesota's a top 15 total defense. The year before, they were 54, and, and now they're top 15. They're a top 10 passing defense. Um, James Franklin joked uh, the other day that he has a man crush on, 
on defensive back Antoine Winfield Jr., who his name sounds familiar. Uh, I want to say uh, dad played at Ohio State and, and played for the Buffalo Bills for a number of years, great cornerback. So, I mean, there's a lot going uh, for Minnesota right now. I mean, they're definitely talented. It's just that they haven't been tested. And it's going to be really interesting to see them go against, I mean, Penn State's defensive line, uh, you know, James Franklin had said this, the, Minnesota's offensive line is the biggest of football right now. Bigger than anyone in the NFL, bigger than anyone in college football. You have a 400-pound right tackle. Um, you've got a 345-pound guard. You know, everyone's over 300 pounds. It's just, it's just something you don't see very often. I mean, I, I, I guess it would be weird to say it's like going against a knuckleball pitcher, but, I mean, you, you just you don't see, you know, a, a line like that to that extent. I mean, that is absolutely extreme. And, you know, Penn State does have the speed. So, I mean, I think that would certainly extinguish that as well. But I could go back and forth, John, because, you know, to me, this is, this is kind of, of two unknowns meeting late in the season um, in Minnesota. And, and you don't see that too often, you know, in, in, in week 12. So I'm really excited for this matchup. And, and, you know, the excitement has got to be palpable in Minneapolis. Again, I said this last week, but they have not been 8-0 since 1941. And the last time I think they have scored 28 points in every single game so far, the last time that happened was, was 1904 when they played high school teams. So this is just unprecedented success for Minnesota. And, you know, we'll see if they, they can bring it against Penn State. Yeah, and, you know, that's, that's sort of the matchup that I'm looking at this weekend, uh, the, the Penn State defensive line against the Minnesota offensive line. You mentioned that massive size advantage, especially on the right side, uh, you know, well over 700 pounds of size for Minnesota, which is unheard of uh, in, in football nowadays. Um, but, but the way to beat them is going to be with Penn State's speed and athleticism. And, of course, the only real way to do that is to shut down the run uh, because you want to be able to unleash Shaka Tony, you want to be able to unleash Jason Oway off the uh off off Minnesota's right side and just let them attack that 400 pound right tackle and let them use their bend to get around him and get to the quarterback of course you can't do that if Minnesota's running the ball uh so I think it's going to be important for Penn State to run blitz quite a bit in this game Uh, I think we're going to see Brent Pry really want to attack them and fill as many gaps as they can try and shut down the run and force the Golden Gophers to pass and if you can force them to pass then Penn State can take big time advantage of it because that's when the athleticism off the edge, that's when the speed on the field uh, is at its best and it's high flying and they're moving all over the field. Uh, Yitor Grossmontos gets to move inside in those situations and, and, you know, use his speed against those big bulky offensive linemen. And that's, that's how Penn state's going to stop this offense. I, uh, I honestly think they will, but you know, the, the golden gophers aren't to be, you know, uh, under, you know, undervalued, I guess, because, you know, if you look at Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings, which I cite seemingly you every do week, love, love I love them. I love. You've I love got a man guy. crush on Bill Connolly, John. Hey, maybe we'll have to get him on the pod sometime. We'll just we'll just let him listen to me rambling about how awesome he is, and that'll convince him. Uh, but no, we've got you know Minnesota's thirty nine point nine uh, and and uh, SP plus on offense points per game. That's that's eighth in the country. Uh, that's you know that's really really good. That's that's actually ahead of Penn State, uh, who is fourteenth right now, and they they're at eighteen point two defensively, which is twenty two uh, number twenty two in the country. So this is a team that's legitimately good. Uh, I don't think they're a top 10 team in the country. He has them at number 10 exactly. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think they're, they're not to be uh, sort of looked down upon. And, and there's a chance that they win this game this weekend, uh, without a doubt. You know, they have the, the advantage with it being a home game and, and sort of playing in the quarter weather, and they can run the ball uh, much easier than Penn State has this year. 
But but I also think there's another matchup we need to look at, and that's just the special teams unit in general. Uh, Minnesota is putrid on special teams, 91st in the country according. That is the word of the day today, putrid. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, sometimes sometimes the words fit too well and too often in a in a 24 hour period, and today's one of them. Uh, but but Minnesota's number 91 in the country. Penn State is number 18. That is a huge difference. Uh, if Penn State can bust a few plays on special teams, make some big plays happen, flip the field on Minnesota, uh, you know they can they can have a big advantage in this game. And Minnesota hasn't been good in special teams in any aspect. Their punter's not good. Their kicking's not good. The return game's not good. Uh, they they're bad. <laughs> they're just bad all around. And Penn State will have a huge advantage. And I think that's going to be what really decides this game. Uh, it just depends on how many special teams plays we see out of Penn State. Uh, you know, is, is Minnesota just going to try and, you know, take short punts but kick away from K.J. Hamler? Uh, are, are they just going to avoid letting him get the ball in his hands? And I think that's probably in their best interest. But we'll see what they do. Uh, but I think the special teams could have, end up deciding this game. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I, I, I guess that means then you, you think this is going to be a close game? Um. I so I think the you final can't say score lopsided. Well, no, no, no. I, I, I don't. I don't think uh, the score will be as indicative as of how close it was. I think we could see like thirty-four to seventeen with a couple plays late, just going in Penn State's favor, and you know, uh, uh, flipping the score when it seems like a one-possession game the whole way through. Uh, I, I think that will be the timeline that that this follows. You know, close game throughout. Uh, Penn State special teams play flips it and then all of a sudden they've got momentum they grab it by the throat and then they roll the rest of the fourth quarter or, or what have you whenever it happens uh, but yeah I, I think it'll be a tight game for a, a, an extended period uh, and if it's not then then Minnesota has no chance you know if, if Penn State gets out on them like they did Michigan goes up 21 nothing Minnesota has absolutely no chance they cannot beat this team passing the ball uh, as good as Bateman and Johnson are uh, Penn State's pass rush is too good the offensive line is too big and too slow to stop them. And unless Bateman and Johnson are getting the ball within two seconds of the snap near the line of scrimmage and making plays, I don't give the Minnesota passing attack much of a chance in this one. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be interesting because Minnesota, you know, they like to, they like to run the ball. They like to, you know, grind the clock down. They like to win that time of possession battle. And we've really seen a time of possession battle go the entirely uh, wrong way for Penn state in the past. You know, you, you have a three and out, the other team goes on a 10-play, 65-yard drive that eats up eight minutes of clock. You know, Minnesota would love nothing more than that. So I, I really think it's going to be interesting the kind of tone that this game starts off with. If, if uh, Penn State is able to stop the run from the very beginning, Minnesota has to rely on its passing attack. Uh, that's going to be – it's a Penn State win. I, I think, you know, if Penn State can stop them from the be very beginning, set that tone, it changes the entire face of the game. I don't think Minnesota will be able to do enough on offense – or be able to adjust um, against Brent Price defense to, to really have success. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways this could go. Um, the thing that I think is interesting, I don't know if this helps Penn State or hurts Penn State. I'm curious for your take, but you know, Minnesota obviously has two incredibly talented wideouts. I believe they're third and fourth um, in the conference in terms of receiving yards per game, but they are almost entirely the passing offense. For Minnesota, um, I want to say about two thirds of uh, uh, you know Minnesota's completions this year have gone to both wide receivers. So in one way, it's like, well, hey, you know, we don't have to worry about you know six different guys. You know, like you know Penn State. You know, you have Hamler and and uh, uh, you know Dodson and Fryermuth, but then it's kind of like, well, you know, you need to worry about shorter Bowers. You know, Slade out of the backfield. What with Minnesota? 
No, it's it's Bateman, it's Johnson. You stop them, you you, you stop the passing game. So, you know, is that does that help Penn State? Does that does that play into their favor, or or does it not? Uh, I think it would be more helpful if one of them were smaller, uh, because then you could just. You know, uh, assuming, you know, uh, they're going to tag Tariq Castro Fields to one of them, which I would definitely do. Uh, he's got the size to match up with both these guys. I would I would tag John Reed to the other uh, if they were smaller, but they're not. So I, I honestly think the best play here for Penn State might just be putting, uh, you know, putting Tariq Castro Fields on Rashad Bateman, letting those two go at it all day, and then letting Keaton Ellis go trial by fire against Tyler Johnson. He's got the size and speed to stay with him. Uh, he's been good so far this year. Uh, he's, he's clearly not redshirting, so you may as well get as much out of him as you can as a freshman. But that's the kind of size that you need to put on Tyler Johnson too, because both of these guys are six foot two. You know, uh, they're both they're both both really good athletes. Both have really good hands. Uh, they might be the top two wide receivers uh, in the Big Ten uh, at this point. You know, from a from a team standpoint, you know the best the best two in the Big Ten, I should say. But yeah, I I think it could play into Penn State's favor if they have someone that's willing to step up outside of Tariq Castro Fields. Uh, if not, the depth of this cornerback room usually helps Penn State out, and maybe they just give these guys different looks, and that's how it ends up paying off. But, but I would I would say still advantage Minnesota here, um, just because of because of the size they have, and you know it's really tough to have two corners that big out there at all times. But you know Penn State can do it, and if they're willing to do it, and they're willing to to believe in Keaton Ellis, then I think you know this this could swing the other way and go advantage Penn State. I just you know I sort of don't see that happening at this point though. Yeah, I guess, you know, one thing we should, you know, maybe clarify is, you know, again, um, I think Penn State fans are, are well aware by now that James Franklin does not release injury reports, you know, but, um, you know, John Reed, you know, he clearly suffered an upper body injury against Michigan State. Um, Noah Kane, you know, suffered, a, you know, lower body injury against the Spartans. And Franklin said afterward um, that he believed that both players would be okay. It wouldn't be a long-term issue. And he reiterated that on Tuesday of this week. Um, he said he expects both of them to play. Um, James Franklin, we, you know, I still don't call that 100%. You know, he didn't say they absolutely 100% will play. He said, we expect them to. We expect them to go. So will, will John Reed play? Yeah, probably. But, you know, James Franklin hasn't exactly been the most forthcoming with, with, with injuries either. And I think that's what also makes this, this matchup interesting. If you don't have a veteran like him to fall back on, you know, you mentioned Keaton Ellis, which, you know, absolutely physically that, you know, that matchup, um, you know, definitely beats, um, you know, putting on a player who's several inches shorter than Ellis. But, you know, does he have the experience? Does, um, you know, he, he did hit the freshman wall a little bit. Even James Franklin admitted that a few weeks ago. Terry Smith said, um, you know, he was, you know, he got past it and he was fine. But, you know, you, you, you just wonder, you know, there are plays this season that, that Keaton Ellis, I'm sure, wishes he could have had back. You know, Keaton, you know, isn't batting a thousand, and and, and no corner does. But I, I think he Keaton Ellis has not played uh, a wide receiver of this caliber yet. And you know, if I'm Minnesota, you know, and if they put Keaton Ellis on on one of them, you know, I'm absolutely you know targeting that and, and feeling that out. So it, you know, it's going to be an interesting game of cat and mouse. But yeah, if John Reed can't go, that that might force Penn State into a corner that um, you know maybe it wouldn't want to be in otherwise yeah uh, I totally agree like you said I sort of expect Reed to play we don't know that for sure though because like you said these things can be a little uh, convoluted with injuries uh, at Penn State uh, you just sort of get used, used to it at this point 
But, you know, I, I think if he does go, Penn State will, will still probably not let him tail someone. They'll just play him, you know, mostly down in the slot, uh, let him do his best against Chris Ottman-Bell there, although Ottman-Bell also has size. Uh, these Minnesota wideouts are generally pretty big, 6'2", 6'2", 6'1", for their top three wideouts. Um, and, you know, it, it's all going to be about shutting those guys down for Penn State and, and giving the pass rush the level of time that it needs to get there. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think they'll do that. And I think the, the size is a big advantage for Minnesota in that even if the pass rush gets there, they can sort of just take a shot to these guys and they can go get it. But uh, I think at the end of the day, the pass rush is going to be quick enough and it's going to win out that Penn State should have a pretty big advantage in a passing game. Uh, or when Minnesota's passing, I should say. Uh, and offensively, I'm actually, you know, not too worried about Penn State in this game. Uh, I think they're going to play well. Uh, I think they're going to move the ball well, especially if Kane is healthy. And if not, you know, I would like to see more of Devin Ford. I think you still think he's the, the most talented guy in the running back room. Uh, and if Kane, for some reason, can't go and, you know, regresses enough to where Franklin no longer feels like he's, he's going to be able to, I, I think Ford could have a big day against Minnesota. Uh, like you said, Winfield is, is the stud on this defense. Uh, I would throw the ball nowhere near him all game long. Uh, it does not matter who he's covering. I would just avoid Second in the nation in picks. That, yeah. That's not a bad strategy. He, he's a playmaker, and I would be willing to bet he's going to get an interception this game. Uh, it's just bound to happen at some point. Uh, you know, it'll probably be targeting KJ Hamler, but we'll see what happens uh, there. And honestly, I think, I think Penn State's uh, offense is going to have to do most of its damage on the ground in this one. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We went, we went almost this entire show without mentioning Sean Clifford by name. I think that's definitely a, a new podcast record for us, John. But Oh, yeah. We're, we're like 30 minutes in, and we just <laughs> now mention him. That's a huge win for us. But, you know, I, I actually – it's funny because I was thinking about him, you know, while you were talking just now. And, and we haven't talked about him yet, but what I think is, is uh, you know, a, a little bit unique about this week is when, when we talked about Sean Clifford the first three weeks, you know, then he goes on by – you know, he, he does all this study in the film room, you know, tries to, to find, you know, what he's not doing well, tries to fix it, fix it through repetition. When he comes back, he has the Maryland game, and it's just, you know, that was just his, his absolute best game. You could see a clear, clear improvement after the bye week. And, hey, you know, he just had another one, and we know how much, you know, Sean Clifford works, you know, how he's in the film room, how he – you know, he looks at every single throw he's made this season, you know, the ones outside of the pocket, the ones in, he tries to separate them all, see, you know, uh, you know, what's wrong with his footwork? When is he too wide? You know, when is he too narrow? And again, I mean, the strides we saw him make the last time, you know, certainly leads me to believe that, you know, even though he's going against the number nine pass defense in the country, that, you know, Sean Clifford is not someone that, you know, we should underestimate. And, and certainly it's not someone that PJ Fleck is from Minnesota. Fleck uh, called him phenomenal during his press conference Tuesday, you know, said he was incredibly accurate and really had high praise for Clifford. And yeah, I mean, he could be in for, for a really good game. Michigan has a great, um, you know, pass defense and Sean Clifford was still able to, you know, really, you know, take hold of that in the first half. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, I'll kick it over to you so I can get my coughing under control. But <laughs> I like Sean Clifford this week is what I'm trying to say, John Sauber. Yeah, I, I like Clifford as long as he's not throwing the ball near Winfield. <laughs> you know, that's going to be the the guy, like I said, that they've got to watch defensively. He's going to be roving out there. Uh, don't don't throw anything near him. He will go get it. He has great instincts. He's a ball hawk in the secondary. Uh, you just – it's not worth the risk because 
he's he's pretty likely to come up with a turnover at some point, and you don't want it to be one that changes the game. Uh, especially, I know it really alters a game plan, but late in the game, I, especially, I wouldn't get near him. Uh, I just don't think it's worth it, like I said. Uh, and you've got plenty of weapons offensively. You have other ways to get someone like KJ Hamler the ball, so you don't have to try and you know go at Winfield deep all game. Uh, so get the ball underneath to your playmakers, let things happen, and keep the ball away from Antoine Winfield. To me, that's the that's the easy formula to success here. And you know maybe we see a little bit of playmaking if we see Devin Ford at running back. But you know uh, if Kane's good to go, I have to imagine that they're going to try and you know sort of road grade a little bit and and wear some clock down to try and keep the ball and uh, you know match Minnesota from that standpoint because if they if they hit from a bit few big plays early and they get that lead then you just got to run clock on Minnesota because they don't have the offense the explosiveness in the offense I should say uh because of uh you know Penn State's pass rush will take be able to take away the big play I just you know don't think Minnesota can match up there and and, and one thing we should we should keep in mind too uh, Penn State will be out be without defensive tackle Antonio Shelton who was suspended for this game after spitting on a Michigan State player so you know, you talk Minnesota wants to wants to road grade. They want to use their, you know, linemen, uh, one of whom weighs 400 pounds. Again, we said that earlier, but I, I just cannot stress enough that they have an offensive lineman who weighs 400 pounds. Um, but they would love nothing more than to run, control the clock, tire out the defense. And both uh, starting defensive tackles Rob Windsor and P.J. Mustafer, who will take over for Shelton, um, James Franklin expects them to get 15 to 20 more snaps per game. You know, they're, they're already going to be a little bit more tired than they usually are at the end of a game. So I think it's really important to keep those guys, you know, kind of, you know, refreshed. And certainly there's still depth, um, you know, there on the interior. But, you know, if Penn State wants to control this game, one of the ways it's going to have to control that game is, you know, by, you know, making sure those guys, um, you know, they're, uh, that, that they – you know, can catch their breath, that they're not on the field for, you know, 10 minutes out of a 15-minute quarter. And, you know, if they're not there, yeah, it's just a vicious cycle. So, anyway, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, John, but, you know, I'm keeping an eye on P.J. Mustafer. I think this is his time to shine. He's been more productive than Antonio Shelton. And, you know, when he was a true freshman coming in, um, you know, kind of the, the – I don't want to say the rumor, but kind of like the, the talk around PJ Mustafer among reporters is like, you know, he's one of, you know, maybe two or three players that could have an immediate impact. You know, one of those guys who, you know, future is unquestionably bright. Like there are just some guys you don't know when someone is, is going to break out necessarily. Like you got a Carl Nassib, you know, no one knew when he was a true freshman, what he was going to achieve, you know, when he was a fifth year senior, you know, but for, uh, you know, a guy like Micah Parsons, he comes in, you know, right away people are like, you know, this kid is going to be something. He's going to the NFL. Saquon Barkley, you know, people were like, you know what? You know, after three games, I think people started, hey, he's the best running back since Kurt Warner. You know, he's got this similar running style. You know, he, he has All-American written all over him. And for P.J. Mustafer, I don't think it was entirely different. Maybe not to the extent of a Parsons or a Barkley. But when he came in, people were excited. You know, people knew that this guy, you know, uh, uh, had a lot of potential. And I don't think he's going to disappoint Penn State fans, um, you know, on, on Saturday at all. I, I think this might be the, the, the first glimpse you, you really get at just how great P.J. Mustafer can be on the inside. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned his conditioning. I think that's going to be really interesting, too. Uh, he, he was a state, uh, state champion wrestler in high school. Uh, he definitely has quality conditioning to do that. I, I know wrestling is, is a highly conditioned sport. Uh, 
So I would expect him to be fine from a conditioning standpoint. Uh, I do think, like like you said, he's going to have a breakout game. He's got the athleticism, the size, and the strength to to be a game wrecker from the interior. Uh, I think what's going to be interesting is Rob Windsor's conditioning because we've seen him throw up on the field before. Uh, so oh, I, I, I don't know how well he's going to hold up for the length of the game. I imagine if it comes down to it, Mustafer will be the one getting the heavier load of extra snaps uh, just because of what we've seen in the past from these guys. But, yeah, you're right. The the lack of Shelton is going to be tough. Uh, he's sort of the most stout run defender, too, just because he was, you know, he's, he's 6'2", 315, 320 pounds. Uh Mustafer weighs about the same, but Mustafer is also two inches taller. So uh, Shelton had that that power and leverage advantage on these linemen. We'll see how they sort of attack those guys. Uh, I think we could see more Etor Grossmatos on the inside too, just to just give him the athleticism advantage. But uh, Penn State's definitely got a tall task, uh, quite literally, uh, with the right side of uh, or excuse me Minnesota's offensive line, and and I think they'll be up for it though. And uh, you know, I, I think ultimately they're going to get a win this weekend and. And that sort of is the beautiful transition I will make to what do you think's going to Yeah, exactly. What do you think's going to happen? Give me a give me a score and let's let's go with uh, a, a sort of a game breaker for Penn State, the guy that that makes the uh, the game an easy win for them, or not necessarily an easy win, a win for them if you predict them to win. Well, well, that's something you, you've never thrown in before. Clearly, you're asking curveball. You already have someone in mind. I do. So, so yeah, <laughs> you know, this is yeah, yeah. I thought so. Hey, I have an answer. So, so you give me a second to think about that, and, and you tell me first. You know, what are you going with, and why, and who? Yeah, so I'll, I'll go with that 34 to 17 score that I said earlier. Uh, I think that it ultimately comes down to a big special teams play. I think I think Penn State is just better than uh, Minnesota in all three phases of the game, and then the the wide gap uh, in special teams is is going to be at play there. Although the 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 standout guy, I guess, I don't think will be a special teams player. I'm going to go with Jason Oway. Uh, like I said, I, I think that that edge rush is going to matter quite a bit to Penn State. And I think he's going to get home a couple of times, get a couple of sacks in this game, maybe a strip sack to force a turnover and, and put Penn State in a big time position to get a win uh, on the road. And, and, you know, honestly, probably their biggest game so far this year, even bigger than the whiteout, bigger than Iowa, just because this is another undefeated team. The committee's going to view it as such, and it's still going to be another ranked team by the time you're done. And it's on the road. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think at the end of the year, we, we might be looking at Minnesota as Penn State's second best opponent this season. See, for me, I, I think I'm leaning more toward a score like 27 to 13 um, in favor of Penn State. And I can totally see what you're saying. And, you know, it wouldn't be, I don't think anything would, would really surprise me in this game. But, you know, I say that because, you know, 27 to 13, um, you know, Minnesota's offense has been great this year, but they have not faced a defense like Penn State. And uh, for my breakout guy, I would pick Micah Parsons just because it's funny. You know, you picked one of Bruce Feldman's college football freaks. I picked the other. But the fact is, when you're going against such a big offensive line, you know, they're not going to – a 400-pound guy does not have a lot of speed. And something Penn State's defense has in spades, speed and depth. You know, Jason Owe is the fastest defensive lineman. I mean, goodness, if he ran the NFL Combine last year, um, he would have been the fastest front seven player or fastest front four player in at least two decades. I mean, that's how gifted he is. Uh, you know, Micah Parsons is not far behind. So um, I think Parsons will have the opportunity that Owe won't. Um, you know, Parsons is going to be out there for, for most of the snaps. Um, you know, he has the speed and he has the position where he's able to make sideline to sideline plays, run circles around these offensive linemen. And I, I really think this could be, 
you know, maybe his, his, his best game of the season, certainly, um, you know, he'll be given that opportunity, but, you know, in the end, Penn state, Minnesota is a good defense. Penn state has played better. Um, Penn state's a good defense. Minnesota has not played better. And ultimately I, I think that's why it comes down to, you know, Penn state winning this game by, by multiple touchdowns. There you have it. Uh, Josh takes 27, 13. I take 34 to 17 for this weekend's matchup in Minneapolis. Of course, we'll have plenty of coverage from that game for you as the game goes along and, and after it's over. But that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, especially about this game, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.